This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? If the Word of God says it, I believe it! And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Welcome, everybody. Romans 6.23 tells us, for the wages of sin is death. That's the bad news. The good news comes in the second half of that verse, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, knowing both parts of that verse should give Christians peace, because even though our deaths are inevitable because of our sin, we have the hope and the promise of eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. However, that truth doesn't always stop Christians from fearing death. And certainly those who are not born again have even greater reason to fear death. And maybe that's why we see so many efforts in the world to extend mortality as far as it can possibly go or even beyond where it could go, even extending to the growing pursuit of cryopreservation or transhumanism. But at root, what can we do about our fear of death and how can we as Christians not fear it? We're going to talk about all of this today with Clay Jones, Associate Professor of Christian Apologetics at Biola University, and he is board chairman of Ratio Christi. And today we'll be discussing his book, Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. Clay, it's great to have you here. How are you? Thank you, Jen. It's a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Uh, I'm doing very well. I'm glad to say I'm, we're in good health in my household, so that's good. Excellent. I'm glad to hear that. You know, you mentioned in the beginning of your book, Hebrews 2.15, which tells us that Jesus came to deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. And I think that's a great verse to talk about when we're discussing the subject of death. How do you see the fear of death enslaving people and sometimes even extending to Christians feeling like death is enslaving? slaving them because you can't avoid it. Yeah, everybody, uh, my conclusion after studying this for years now is that everybody is outside of Christians who have a robust belief of eternal life in Jesus. Those are the only ones accepted. Uh, Everyone else is terrified by death. If you ask them, if you say, you know, like people say, oh, what are you working on? I say, I'm working on a book of, about the fear of death and how it drives us and what we can do about it. People immediately will blurt, Christians and non-Christians, I don't fear death. Uh, like it's this major proclamation. Uh, (laughs) And the truth of the matter is, I don't think they're entirely being dishonest because they don't think about their deaths. Uh, They will acknowledge in the abstract that they're going to die, but then they go on, uh, as Julia Julia Louis-Dreyfus put it, to happily not thinking about the fact that they're going to die. They just push it right back out of their mind. But so, yeah, everybody has got to handle this fear, to try to escape it. Everybody is engaged in what I, literal immortality projects, namely they're trying to literally extend their life as long as possible, and as you mentioned, with a hope that maybe transhumanism will come in, or or uh, like Larry King, Simon Cowell, and Seth MacFarlane uh, are all intending to be cryonically frozen yes. uh, in hopes that one day science will cure them. Uh, and so they're literally trying to live forever. Uh, and uh, I think Whole Foods Markets is full of those kinds of people. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but but other, or, uh, and this is, I think, everybody on Earth is doing this other thing. They're symbolically trying to live forever and to do something somehow that's going to live on beyond them, that they're going to, having children, for instance, is a way to live on, you know, forever, in a sense. Um, you know, writing a book, 
building a temple, putting your name on a building, on and on and on, doing something, influencing your culture in some way, that as your culture goes on, uh, that uh, at least if, if you die, okay, not okay, but oh, that's, that's what it is what it is, but somehow I'm going to live on uh, through some things that I've accomplished. Well, and you know what I find interesting about that is even the atheist who wants to leave a legacy, as it were, is really testifying to the truth of eternal life. Because if he wants to have a legacy, but is also trying to say in the same breath that life has no meaning, we just go back to the dust, and your life doesn't really have a purpose other than you just kind of are accidentally here, then why does he even want a legacy? That's right. And, and I think that it's interesting because, as I mentioned in my book, Richard Dawkins, uh, Victor uh, Stenger, uh, and a host of these atheists all believe that they've, they're leaving uh, a legacy. Michael Shermer, who's this uh, editor of uh, uh, editor of uh, uh, Skeptic Magazine. He believes he's leaving a legacy. But you're right, though, when you really think about it, as, as uh, Bertrand Russell put it, he says, the whole universe, uh, in short, he said, the whole universe is going to freeze to, you know, I mean, absolute zero. Uh, and it's just going to be a bunch of debris one day. What le- you know, what's going to happen? But even Bertrand Russell couldn't live with that. And so he was an anti-nuclear activist, because you have to have something think that in somehow I'm going to extend my life. They, people just simply cannot escape that, uh, except, again, for those who have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus. They're the only ones, as, as you mentioned in Hebrews chapter 2, they're the only ones that can escape this. That's right. Well, also in Hebrews, I think about Hebrews 9.27, which says, and as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. We know exactly how things are going to go down. We're all going to die. God's going to judge us. Christians will be different, obviously, than non-Christians. But again, you've got the atheist, the agnostic, the skeptist, even the Hindu who believes in reincarnation, denying that death is a punishment for sin, first of all, and then also denying that man will be judged. I mean, so in, in a sense, what you really need to press upon people is you really should fear death because it's not just that you're going to die. It's that you're going to be judged for your sins if you don't belong to Jesus Christ. That's right. And in fact, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the skeptical philosophers uh, will put it, one of them, from a Berkeley philosopher, put it, he says, you know, he says, death should be nothing to fear uh, as long as we don't survive it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think that's exactly right, is these, the atheists are desperately hoping that there won't be punishment after death. I mean, that is their hope, all the way from Epicurus, that, you know, we're just simply not going to exist after we die. All the atheists and skeptics are all hoping that they're simply going, their existence is simply going to cease. That's their hope. And, of course, we as Christians say, uh, that's not going to work, because Jesus really did die on the cross. He really was raised from the dead, and a judgment is coming. That's right. You know, it's weird, though, when you talk about some of these immortality projects, transhumanism, for example, singularity and these sorts of things. They're not just man's attempt to extend his mortality, but they end up being very scary for humanity. If they, these people really could accomplish what they want to accomplish with these projects, I think it would be very terrifying for a lot of us here on Earth. Oh, I think, oh, yes, absolutely. In fact, I quote, uh, Lee, um, I quote Musk, uh, Elon Musk, and I quote uh, DeGrasse Tyson, uh, uh, both of them agree 
that if we actually get computers that are self-aware, and that's the singularity, where these computers begin to think on their own, he says that they're going to either be our enslaver, they will enslave us, or they will destroy us. Mm. And so it, they're very afraid, actually, of this happening. Yet it, it is their hope, too, because the singularity is their, you know, I mean, and like I say, the singularity is where computers begin to think on their own, and then they self-improve. Uh, but they will be our enslavers or they will be our destroyers. And Musk and uh, Tyson, Neil deGrasse Tyson, both think that that's entirely possible. In fact, both of them agree that it's likely that we are right now, all of us right now, are living in a simulation. Now, that may sound, um, to your listeners, I'm sure, Janet, this is the craziest thing ever, but I'm telling you, these very intelligent people, Elon Musk and Neil deGrasse Tyson, believe we could be living in a simulation right now that our generations past might be, just as a, comp- as a computer game, some kid may be simulating us in, our, in his basement. Uh, well, that's... Like I say, to us that sounds crazy. To the Christian, that's just ridiculous. But these very intelligent, respected men believe that that's entirely possible. Wow. In fact, they even think it's likely. Yeah, proclaiming to be wise, they became fools. How in the world would you ever verify that you were part of a simulation of some, some person on a keyboard somewhere? That's, it's not even provable. You beat me to quoting that first. Oh. <laughs> it's so it's so applicable. I mean, really, uh, there is no way. Well, there is no way of proving it. You can't prove it. I mean, you can't. It's unfalsifiable. Well, and, and this just shows you the desperation again that these people have. Uh, the singularity, like I say, is the hope of like people like Ray Kurzweil and others who are going. This is going to come along, and it's going to fix all our problems or it's going to enslave us, or it's going to kill us, I don't know which. I think, actually, if it could occur, which I argue in my book that it can't occur, computers will never become self-aware, because, uh, you know, they don't know how we're conscious. They don't know where consciousness comes from for humans. Yeah. But, see, we believe that humans have souls. I'll tell you what, hang it right there. Clay Jones is with us. We'll come back discussing his book, Immortal. You're listening to Janet Meffer today. We'll come back after this. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you, too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. The Ministry of Preborn is the largest provider of free heartbeats for moms in crisis in the USA. When a mother chooses life, preborn centers are there to help with the baby's needs, counseling, and so much more, free of charge. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life will be without her. 
The Ministry of Preborn is the largest nationwide provider of free ultrasounds for expectant moms in crisis. There's just something about seeing your own baby's heartbeat that moves a mom's heart toward life like nothing else. Will you please help support preborn in the cause for life? One ultrasound is just $28, or five ultrasounds are $140. To donate, just call 855-402-BABY. That's 855 855- 402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a preborn banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. Welcome back. It's great to have you with us, and it's great to have with us Clay Jones, Associate Professor of Christian Apologetics at Biola University. He is also Board Chairman of Ratio Christi and author of Immortal, How the Fear of Death Drives Us and What We Can Do About It. We were talking about some of these immortality projects that skeptics and some atheists and some of these great minds of our society are engaged in. You know, the transhumanism or the idea that maybe the computers will become self-aware and and they'll either help us out or they'll enslave us. To me, that's that's really a gamble I don't want to take. If there's a 50% chance that the robots will enslave us, how about we not go down that path? Yes, indeed. I, I mean, we're not, as, we're not going to go down that path because a consciousness, they're talking about computers becoming conscious. And by the way, that's the theme of the Matrix movies, and it's a theme of the Terminator movies, is computers becoming conscious. They're not going to become conscious ever uh, because consciousness is immaterial. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts, your memories of your 16th birthday are not material stuff. Uh, so you're not going to get that into a computer ever. I, I go through a lot of argument by why that's just not going to happen. Right. That's a really good point. Now, something else that you've brought up recently in light of what's been going on across America is, you, you mentioned this in the book as well, about activism can be a form of trying to have immortality. But you also say that the fear of death drives anarchy. And there's been a lot of discussion in recent weeks about anarchy. Can you expand on that a little bit and explain what you're talking about with what we're seeing across the country at the moment? Yes. Uh, The trouble with anarchy is if there's no God, think about it, if there's no God, there's no rules. And this this is what a lot of people have pointed out again and again. Dostoevsky says, you know, if God, immortality do not exist, and man is allowed to become a man-god, and then everything is permitted. That's, that's got to be true. Right. Uh, there's, in other words, there's no rules. If there's nothing transcendent, there's no rules. And, and I think what's happening is, is you're seeing these people, when it comes to this, the anarchy that we're seeing now, going, I'm going to die there are no rules. I might as well just make my mark. I saw one guy jumped on a moving SUV, jumps on top of this SUV, and uh, it's, he's, he's thrown off because it's moving. The guy did, made a turn, and they interviewed him afterwards and said, why did you do that? He says, because I'm changing the world. <laughs> You're changing the world by jumping on a moving SUV? How's that? I mean, wow. but see, this is, again, the desperation for, I've got to make my mark. Yeah. And, and this, you know, we've got to tear down society. See, this is, I need to do something because they're afraid of death. COVID, of course, has made them even more afraid of death. They're afraid of death. They do not have hope for an afterlife, so they need to do some sort of symbolic thing that's going to transcend them, and that's just leading them to anarchy. Uh, And I love, you know, Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who wrote the Gulag uh, Archipelago and himself spent eight years in the Soviet Gulag, 
He said, if you ask me why the communism in the Soviet Union happened to kill 60 million of our people, he says, I'll sum it up in this sentence. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. And that's exactly what's happening here. People don't have a sense of afterlife. They don't have a sense of things being transcendently right or wrong. And so, hey, let me make my mark. So let's make our mark by protesting. Uh, and for that matter, we might as well burn some buildings down that we don't like. And you've got that one activist of Black Lives Matter who says we need to start knocking down uh, stained glass windows that depict Jesus as being white yes. in churches. Yes. Well, see, if there's nothing transcendent and you have nothing to hope for and there are no wolves, well, then everybody becomes, uh, as Dostoevsky put it, a, their own man god that can do whatever he pleases. And so it's actually, for me, this anarchy thing, the biggest, the biggest reason for it is, is people have lost belief in an afterlife. They've lost belief in God. And uh, we need to be arguing ever more fervently that there is a God and judgment comes. That is absolutely right. And yet they're such hypocrites because all of them, if you were to ask them what they're fighting for, they wouldn't necessarily say, I'm not fighting for anything. I just want to break things. They would say, I want justice. I want fairness. Well, why would you want justice and fairness if life has no meaning? What is the true north? If you have no God, there is no true north telling you what justice or equality even mean that's right 100 percent. that's right you know and and so but you see the thing is and this is the slavery to the fear of death they just simply have to make their own meaning and that's what they're doing they're making their own meaning and so people are clamoring on getting on involved with various causes uh save the whales you know stop climate change and on and on, which I'm not getting into whether those things are bad or good in themselves. But the point is, they're trying to find some meaning in a meaningless world that will transcend their death when really they need to, they need to believe that they're going, they need to turn to Jesus, be saved and and believe that they're going to live forever. Amen. I mean, they're, they're really believing the biggest deception of all time that this world is all there is. That's exactly what the enemy wants people to believe. So on the side of Christians, we know better. We know that death is because of sin. And we know that there is a heaven, there is a hell. We know that because of Jesus dying on the cross and rising again on the third day, if we put our faith and trust in him as our Lord and Savior, we will be saved. We have that hope and we have that promise. But yet you say that a lot of Christians really don't grasp the amazing evidence for the resurrection. And that's actually what is tied to taking little comfort in eternal life and maybe fueling the fear of death. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. And and just take it a step further. The devil has done some of his best work uh, when it comes to remaking heaven as a place you don't want to go. I call it extreme makeover metaphysical edition, uh, that we're going to be sitting on clouds, we're going to be strumming harps, and we're going to be sporting flightless wings, and we're going to be singing forever and ever. The Bible does not teach any of that. None of it. But And so he's made heaven look like a place that even Christians don't want to go. Uh, an undergrad fought back tears one day as she confessed to me that she was afraid she didn't want to go to heaven. And I went into her office and I said, uh, I told this one young woman, 20-something woman, that what, she, what had just happened, she says, I have the same fear. Uh, that I don't want to go there, that it doesn't sound like a good place to go. And so that Satan has done some of his best work. People do not believe, as you just mentioned, uh, they do not understand Jesus really was raised from the dead. And so one of the chapters of my book is making my most cogent case for the resurrection. By the way, I've been teaching that at, uh, at the apologetics program at Bible University for years now, teaching that subject, the defense of the resurrection. But the 
Jesus really was raised from the dead. We really are going to have eternal life. But then the next thing is we need to have a proper appreciation of heaven and get away from what you know, the devil's making it look like it's a place you really don't want to go. And so then the very last chapter of my book is talking about what it'll really mean for you to have a glorified body, uh, to be glorified in, you know, your soul and, and uh, everything, because we need to be able to look forward to heaven if we're going to enjoy it and not fear death. Right. Well, you know, when Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, he who believes in me, you know, though he were dead, yet shall he live. It's funny how sometimes it takes a funeral for you to appreciate that. Yes. You know, and all of a sudden you're in a graveyard and you're saying, you know, for those who died in Christ Jesus, they will get their bodies back. They are with him now, but they will get their bodies back. You don't despair because you know what's to come. That's right. And that's one of the blessings, if you will. I mean, COVID's a terrible thing, but it actually has a subtle blessing, and that is it's causing Christians to realize that a lot of them have been in love with this present world. Mm. And because they're in love with this present world, they're not in love with God and His kingdom. And I think a lot of Christians need to step back and, and frankly, repent and say, you know what, I've been in love with this present world, forgive me, Lord, and begin then to use this as a motivation to say, I'm going to live forever and ever in Jesus, in glory. That's great. And and also, when you talk about the fact that very few Christians have a really robust view of the glory that awaits us in heaven, you know, I hear Christians sometimes make the comment, are we going to be bored? Are we gonna, I'm saying, right. you're going to be in the presence of the living God. You're going to see Jesus face to face. How in the world could you be bored? You're never going to be bored. How could a Christian even ask that? What is going on? That's right. And in my book, Why Does God Allow Evil?, I talk about your occupation in heaven is not singing. Your occupation is reigning with Christ. Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, the first thing we know about humankind is the Lord said, let's make man in our image and let them rule. In Revelation 22, verse 5, which is the last chapter, the last book of the Bible, the last verse before the epilogue, which is don't add to these things or take away from them, he says, and they will reign forever and ever. That actually the Lord is putting us in, not just letting us visit heaven, he's going to be putting us in charge of heaven. Uh, And this is the kind of thing, again, that we need to understand if we're going to go, I can't wait to be there. Uh, Because otherwise, if you think you're just going to sing all day long, it's not very appealing to people. But even the seraphs don't sing nonstop. That's a misunderstanding of what even the seraphs are doing. Uh, So anyway, people need to have a robust view of eternal life in Jesus, and most Christians don't. And so most Christians are trying to live the American dream, and then they're all upset with God Mm. when the American dream isn't necessarily working out for them because the Lord doesn't care if they live the American dream. What the Lord cares about is that they'll be conformed to the image of Christ uh, and be prepared to reign with Him forever and ever. Amen. That's so true. So what would you say about Christians using the reality of death uh, to drive home the good news of the gospel, you know, with those who don't yet know Him? Oh, yes. I mean, I think, you know, in fact, I just talked to one of our foster daughters recently about that very thing. I said, you know, you're going to die. And and I mean, I think this is, look, people may say, wow, that's really a terrible thing to say. This is the bad news, folks. And I think that we Christians, we don't want to talk about the bad news. The bad news is, is that you're going to die and you're going to be, you're going to come into judgment and you'll be, you can be lost forever. We've gotten away from, from even mentioning the bad news. Uh, and so people don't understand the glory and the wonder of the good news. But that doesn't have to happen to you. You can live forever and ever and ever. And Jesus even said that his disciples will not taste death. What did he mean by that? He knew that he, Jesus wasn't living in denial. He knew that our bodies would die. But what he meant was, is that we're going to transition seamlessly into the next life. And that's what we need to be focused on, uh, you know, and 
First Peter one thirteen, Peter says, "Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed." But we're setting our hope on our four hundred one ks and on you know our kids being successful and stuff. Fine, there's nothing wrong with having a four hundred one k. That's not my point. But my point is, is your real major hope needs to be set on the fact that you're going to live forever and ever and ever with Jesus. Amen. The book is called Immortal. Great book by Clay Jones. So good to talk to you, Clay. Really appreciate your being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Janet, for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you again. God bless you. We'll be back on Janet Meffer today after this. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Preborn. For $140, you can provide ultrasounds to five women in crisis pregnancies. Call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229 or JanetMefford.com. This is Janet Mefford Today. And now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. Welcome back. I was so moved to listen to some of the live stream of Pastor Rob McCoy from Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, California. He is just the latest pastor out of California to say, the church is essential. We're going to meet. Sorry that you don't like it, state of California, but we're going to meet and we're going to worship the Lord. And that's going to be the end of it. And I have been so grateful for every single pastor who has done that. And there have been a number of pastors actually who opened their churches early on and a number of pastors who actually were in states where it was allowed. And so they never had to go to court. But for those churches in California who have had to go to court, they've really been paving the way for the rest of us. And I say that because not only do we see a situation in which California churches are being deemed non-essential and they can't meet and they're always being accused of being these COVID-19 hotspots with any adequate evidence. This is something I've talked about quite a bit on the show before. But I also think it's important because I think the Lord is really doing something here. And this is something I've been praying for for a long time. I know you have too. We have a church that for many, many years was asleep in the light to coin a phrase that Keith Green really gets credit for. We were asleep in the light. We'd been well-fed. We'd gone, many of us, to great Bible churches, you know, where the word was preached and we learned the word of God and we stood on the word of God and we sang the great hymns and we worshiped him and we lived for him and we went to Bible studies and we went to Sunday school. And over time, we became kind of fat and lazy and complacent. And that's what happens. If you look at the word of the Lord to those seven churches in the book of Revelation, you see some of that and you see the Lord addressing that, like the church at Laodicea. But when you think about how the American church got complacent, part of the reason you end up getting complacent is you don't really have anything to fight against. You're fighting the world, you're fighting the devil, all of those things. That's a normal part of the Christian experience. But you're not necessarily under persecution. And we have been very, very blessed that we have had freedom of religion for as long as we've had it. But as you know, in the last maybe decade or maybe a little longer, we've begin, we're beginning to see the church being turned on by the world more and more and more all the time. And this has been an issue that has kind of come to the head, come to a head under the pandemic. And so it's interesting to see what the Lord is doing now. And I I was listening to Pastor McCoy 
preach on Acts 8, and he was exegetically preaching through the book of Acts, he said. So he just happened, just happened to come to this passage in Acts 8, where it talks about Saul ravaging the church and Stephen being martyred. And then it talks about Philip proclaiming Christ in Samaria. Simon the magician believes. And then it goes on to talk about how Philip was told by an angel of the Lord to rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went, he encountered the Ethiopian eunuch and he ended up preaching Christ to him. So we know this story pretty well, but it was interesting how it intersected with what this pastor has been going through and what his church has been going through. And rather than go into all of the details, I just want to give you a couple of updates here because this is why this is a story right now. This pastor has vowed to continue, and he did this over the weekend. He vowed to continue holding his indoor worship services in defiance of coronavirus health orders after this judge just a few days ago issued a temporary restraining order against the church. This is now where we are. The state is saying, We're issuing a restraining order against you, church. You Christians cannot meet. And this pastor, God bless him, said, Mm, yeah, we're going to meet. And he tied this into some of the preaching that he did on Acts 8. Let's listen to Pastor Rob McCoy. This is cut one. And, and the enemy couldn't attack the church because the early church was, was under persecution. Rome had its proverbial knee on the neck of the Christian church, the early church. And as a result, they threatened them with jail time. I don't know why, but it just seems so familiar. And I don't know where I've heard that before. <laughs> And then, and then they not only threatened them, they did imprison them. And then they plotted to kill them. And then they killed them. Stephen. Stephen was martyred. Stephen was one of the seven that served with Philip. And the persecution came down heavy on the church. And persecution in some cases is to the church what wind is to a seed. These Christians spread out all over the known area they went to Judea and Samaria. And as they spread out, the, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem to face the consequences and the imprisonment, but the rest of the disciples went all throughout the region proclaiming the gospel. And as they did this, Philip ends up in Samaria and Judea and he's preaching the gospel and he sees Simon the sorcerer and multitudes of others come to Christ and they're just absolutely mesmerized by his teaching ability. And the church is under persecution, but it's growing. It's not just being added to daily. It's multiplying, greatly multiplying. They're estimating 15 to 20,000. And it's fascinating that the more pressure's on the church, the more the church is growing. And I just got to say this. Uh, we used to have a congregation on a good Sunday, 400 people. And now they've started to come down on us. And look what happened. <laughs> Now, isn't that interesting? And he mentioned during the course of the service that they had a number of visitors who were in the church listening to the sermon who weren't even necessarily Christians. He had mentioned some people who were there because they became concerned about how the church was being treated. They became concerned about the general issue of liberty and how the state was cracking down on people over the issue of liberty and not cracking down on other people. See what the Lord is doing. There is beginning to be an opening here for non-Christians to say, man, I'm looking at what this government is doing and look what they're doing to the Christians. Maybe the Christians are on to something. Isn't that great? I just found that so encouraging. Now, what's interesting about Pastor Rob McCoy is he actually has 
a career in government, another career in government. Over the last several years, he ran for state assembly. He talked about that several years ago. Then he got onto the Thousand Oaks City Council. He became mayor. He discussed how much he loved the people that he worked with. And then came April 4th, 2020. And he talks about what happened as of that date. This is cut to. April 4th, God decides to send me to the desert. April 4th was Palm Sunday. We take communion the first Sunday of the month and this awful disease by the name of COVID-19 comes in and the, the economy was booming, church was full, people were doing great, stock market was going up, people were blessed. And COVID-19 hits and then all of a sudden everyone starts getting weird. The same police department that we were praising as Officer Helis went in and sacrificed his life to stop the shooting of the gunman and, and, the, and, and, and the entire community coming out and thanking the sheriff's department and dedicating a freeway in honor of Officer Helis. And then within a few short months, we're marching in opposition to law enforcement and we're burning our cities and, and we're being declared systemically racist. What happened? And then I'm looking at this virus and all of us are wondering what it is and we're trying to make heads and tails of it. And then the governor comes out and says the church is non-essential. And I, 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 it took my breath away. Wait, what? It's the most essential organization in the middle of a pandemic. Well, then after shutting down for a time and realizing now, wait a minute, we've maybe been had, the church leadership started looking at the data on the pandemic. This is cut three. Looking at the data, we were concerned. We didn't know how serious the virus was. And we were looking at the Emerald Princess and we were looking at all the data we could get. Even though China was suppressing it, we were still looking at the data. And, and we, we wanted to make sure. And so we were following the CDC guidelines. But the problem is they wouldn't let us have communion even if we followed the CDC guidelines because they said cannabis was essential, liquor stores were essential, bicycle repair shops were essential, realtors were essential. And for all of you who either own those or work with those, I'm not questioning whether they're essential or not. But to declare the church non-essential, I got a problem with that. Well, we all have a problem with that. And that's that's what's going on here. And it's interesting because I think I started talking about this, what, April? We started talking with some of these pastors around the country, smaller pastors whose names weren't necessarily known on a national level. But right away, I think a lot of us kind of woke up and said, all right, we shut down for a few weeks. The millions of deaths have not transpired. So what's going on here? And then I think when those protests all occurred, then it became obvious that the whole thing was being exploited for politics. So, you know, this is something that the pastors were on to, too. Now, when we come back from this break, I want to play some more from Pastor Rob McCoy's sermon that took place yesterday at Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, California. Some really good stuff. Stick around. You won't want to miss it. We'll be back. Janet Meffer today is proud to partner with Preborn to help save babies' lives. Well, my name is Dan Steiner, and I'm the president of Preborn. Ultrasound truly is a game changer. When a mom comes into a pregnancy center under pressure to abort her child, perhaps the dad's gone, perhaps her mother is pressuring her. Most of the time in her heart, she doesn't want to abort, but what she needs is something that will give her the strength to choose life against the pressures that are forcing her to consider abortion. That's the ultrasound. 
If she hears her baby's heartbeat and sees that baby on ultrasound, everything's different. Will you join us in saving babies' lives? Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion-minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves, 80% of the time, they choose life. Would you please join us at Janet Meffer today to support the ministry of Preborn? For $140, you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. One ultrasound is just $28, and every gift helps. To donate, please call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229, or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. All gifts are tax deductible, and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies. You can get involved, and you can help save a life for a gift of $140. Five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies. Let's do more than talk about abortion. Let's save some lives. Please call now with your gift, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-BABY. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at JanetMefford.com. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We must obey God rather than men. That is such a biblical principle, and we never really thought probably in our own day we would have to invoke it. But yes, it's true. We do have to invoke it in these days. And I've been playing for you some of the sermon yesterday that was preached by Pastor Rob McCoy, who is pastor of Godspeak Calvary Chapel in Thousand Oaks, California. He was told by Ventura County Superior Court Judge Matthew Guasco that there was an immediate threat to public health and safety due to the 2019 novel coronavirus and issued a temporary restraining order against the church. You now have the state of California telling the church it can't get together and worship the Lord. And these pastors, many of them, since earlier this year in April, at least, uh, have said, nah, we're opening up. And that was the point at which they had said, as of May 31st, we're opening up. And Rob McCoy was one of those people. What's really interesting about Rob McCoy, though, is not only did he have this mentality that we have to open the church. It's essential that we open the church during this coronavirus. But he was serving on the city council in Thousand Oaks, and he did something pretty extraordinary back in April. Let's listen to what he said. This is cut four. And so I had to come to a decision. I would abide by the CDC standards. I would make sure that no one would be threatened because we didn't know the seriousness of the virus. We didn't know. The data was conflicting. So we treated this place like an operating room and I, I, the, the press came out as though we were killing everybody in the community because we had 10 chairs in a sanctuary that you can see holds 444. We had 10 chairs that would be disinfected. You, you couldn't go into a Trader Joe's or a Costco and experience this. It, seriously, you would, you would wanna be operated on in, in our church, it was so clean. But the press came out as though we were killing everybody and to the press's credit, they covered it and they said they did a great job. And all we were saying is we're essential. We'll play by the rules, but we're essential. They, just, they still didn't adhere to that. And when I made the decision and the elders made the decision, I didn't do it willy-nilly, the 15 elders agreed. We decided to do that the Palm Sunday. Saturday night, and I never expected this, but Saturday night, the news got out all the way to England and everywhere else, and it, it was a firestorm. And I realized that my friends, who I love and respect and worked hard to be a part of, 
were gonna have to censure me on the council and that they would have to continue to censure me if the governor kept standing in opposition to the church. And I love them too much because the state and the county put so much pressure on the city nowadays that that's the last thing they needed was to have to deal with me. And so I willingly Saturday night stepped off the council. Isn't that interesting? And the parallel in Acts chapter 5 is here you have the high priest rising up along with all his associates, that is the Sadducees. They were filled with jealousy at the preaching of the gospel and they called the council together. Isn't that interesting? Even all the Senate of the sons of Israel and sent orders to the prison house for the apostles to be brought, but the officers who came did not find them at the prison and they returned and reported back. Anyway, you go to verse 27. When they had brought them, they stood before the council and the high priest questioned them saying, we gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, the name of Jesus. And yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as a prince and a savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. That's the same spirit that lives in us. It's the same spirit who lived in Peter and the apostles. He lives today. He lives and moves and he reigns in the hearts of Christ's church. And it is the same spirit that is driving, I believe, these pastors to be faithful to Christ against a tyrannical government. Now, listen to what Pastor McCoy says happened as of May 31st, which led him to an important decision. This is cut five. And I wanted to be left alone. And we waited and we waited and we waited and then on May 31st, we started to see the data, the empirical evidence. We had honored the governor when he said 100 or 25%, whatever was less, we did 100, we had you sign up, we wore masks, we did the whole bit, social distancing, until we watched the governor send our sheriffs down into Los Angeles and I told the sheriff, you don't have to worry about us, we'll be abiding by the CDC standards and the governor's demands because we don't want to pressure you and they sent their officers down there into harm's way while the governor of our state said we embrace what you're doing we back you and you have our full permission as they're burning and looting 75 percent of the businesses destroyed were our jewish brothers and sisters that's a hate crime and when that happened we looked and we said may 31st i would have opened earlier but may 31st we said pentecost sunday we're wide open done yep absolutely and, and, you know, right then and there, you see the scam of it. Yay, Black Lives Matter. Yay, let's have these leftist protests out in the street. We're all for you. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. Oh, yeah, we love the protesters. And Gavin Newsom. Oh, yeah, the protesters are fantastic. Hey, whatever happened to this Black Plague that you've been talking about that is the reason churches can't get together and are not deemed essential? Because we have to be so careful. Only Walmart can be open. Oh, yeah, and abortion clinics and liquor stores. But aside from that, that. No, not, never churches, never churches. And it's interesting because he said in a previous clip, as you heard, it was in 2018, there was that bar shooting. And I think it was 13 people were killed by that crazed gunman and a police officer lost his life. The whole community of Thousand Oaks rose up to praise this police officer. And all of a sudden now police officers are the enemy of the people. It's insane. It really is. I mean, it's gone 
really to a level that a lot of pastors especially began to say, what is really going on here? Now, how does this all apply to the text of Acts chapter 8, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the text that McCoy was preaching on yesterday? This is Cut 6. April 1st, 2001, I just wanted to pastor a church. I didn't want to be the epicenter of a call for liberty. I didn't want the the supervisors to vote three to two to seek to fine and imprison our congregants. I didn't want to be in this place. I, I begged them. I didn't do this, they did. And now that they've done it, they opened up a can they won't be able to get the lid on because liberty is now being declared. And I hate it. I hate being a stranger, my friends. I hate the division in our community and the threat upon the church. I hate the trials that my family has to face. I hate the scorn and the vitriol and the fear and the lies. I hate what it's done to our community. I hate the destruction of businesses, children who have been traumatized, convicts who have been released, hypocrisy that's been unleashed. I hate it. I'm in a desert. I didn't want this, but God did. Now, there was much more to the sermon, but you get the gist of the heart of this man and the heart that he has for the Lord and for his congregation and for freedom and for liberty. I mean, this this is all intersecting, isn't it? All of these American principles that we have taken for granted for so long are intersecting at this moment when we are seeing what the Lord did in the Acts of the Apostles and how we can take courage by the same Holy Spirit that enabled them to stand strong under much worse persecution. I mean, you think of Paul. I was thinking about this particular passage, one of the most amazing stories in the book of Acts in chapter 14, when the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and having won over the crowds, they stoned Paul. Do you remember this? And dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day he went away with Barnabas to Derby. And after he had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. How many of us, I mean, not me, but how many men of God today would preach the gospel in a city like Portland? Go to downtown Portland where Antifa is wreaking havoc. Preach the gospel. Get stoned with stones trying to kill you. And after you recover and they thought you were dead, you get up and you go back into the city and you preach the gospel again. And you go about making disciples of all nations the way the Lord Jesus Christ commanded you to. That's the Holy Spirit, folks. And that's conviction. That's biblical conviction. And we need to pray for this pastor. We need to pray for every pastor that is standing firm like this throughout the United States. And there are more like him. But we need to pray for them, that they would continue to show that kind of biblical conviction and that kind of courage. Who knows what will happen to him legally? Who knows what will happen to those members of his congregation who met? It remains to be seen exactly what they're going to do in Ventura County. But boy, we need to pray for these men because we need thousands more just like them. And God bless him for standing strong. So keep them in your prayers. Keep the church in your prayers. And let's stand strong for Jesus Christ at this time, as always. We got to leave it there. We thank you so much for being with us again here on Janet Meffer Today. 
We will see you next time.